I didn't plan it this way. Call it providentially ironic that we're discussing women on Mother's Day. Not intentional. I won't. I won't hold off the younger men till Father's Day. Um, we'll, we'll hammer them here in the weeks to come. Um, we started talking about the women a few weeks back. Anchored there heavily. Last week, we're going to anchor there again this week, and we're probably not going to get through it all. And you go, there aren't that many verses on women. Why are you spending so much time? And uh, I heard John Piper speak once, and he looked at First Peter chapter 3, where the women have like this many verses, and the men, the husbands, the wives have like this many verses, and the husbands have this many. Well, in Ephesians, it's the other way around. The women have this many, and the men have this many, but... He surmised, because it doesn't say that in 1 Peter, he spends so much time with the women, not because they're worse, but because the attacks and the pressures upon them were greater. And in our culture today, both men and women are, their roles, who they are, what they are, is just being conformed by the world it's trying to change us apart from God's intent and design so um, I hope you do not mind our time anchoring here on this Uh, last week we talked uh, a great deal well not a great deal we talked some about uh, appearance uh, as far as women are concerned. We look primarily at, at challenges that the older women faced um, and that in Titus, Titus presses them to be women of character. Uh, we began to speak of adornment and uh, really in this passage, there's nothing about adornment. It doesn't say anything about adornment. And I think that's great because Paul's emphasis is that they be women of character. And when you look in the other passages that do speak of adornment uh, in Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10, and 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, he doesn't say, don't adorn yourselves. He doesn't say, you know, go around in a, you know, just a rag dress and let your hair just be as it is. He says the, the pressure upon the women is... <coughs> Your adornment, you know, if, if you really want to work on your beauty, let it be a beauty internal. Okay, let it be a beauty internal. Does that make makeup, jewelry, uh, any of that sinful? No. No, it doesn't. Um, it's not, it is not a matter of the externals. <clears throat> It is a matter of the internals. Really, it gets to the why. If I'm dyeing my hair purple, why am I doing that? That's not uncommon. I mean, there's some people you go, man, it's like. And, and for somebody who does not follow the Lord, you go, great. For somebody who does follow the Lord, what is my primary question? Who am I doing it for? 
do I dye my hair purple to gain attention? Do I have gauges? Are gauges sinful? No. No. But why am I doing it? Am I doing it again for attention to come to me? I want people to notice me. Do I put uh, silicon implants under my skin to make me look like a lizard? You know, do I think this looks good? Or am I trying to draw attention to myself? And so our reasoning behind what we do is critical. And I would contend it's not just for women. Okay? I mean, you've seen my hair go all over the place. And some of you who've been here a long time. Um, why do men groom as men groom? Am I trying to draw attention to myself or what? And so, do I... Do it because I like the way that it looks. Is that a valid reason? Yes. Maybe to an extent. Do I do it because my husband or wife likes the way that it looks? Maybe to an extent. Do I groom or dress the way that I do because it's expected at work? Is that okay? Yes, yes to a point. Okay? Depends what they're asking me to wear. Really. But what must overarch all of this? What is the most important thing that I must consider with how I groom, what I do, etc.? I'm sorry? Honoring the Lord. Honoring the Lord. What does God think of this? What is God's mind in this? Am I doing it, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, Am I doing all to the glory of the Lord? So even my husband's desires are overarched by my desire to honor God. If my desire to honor anybody else gets higher than that, I missed it. If my, what I think about me gets higher than that, I've missed it. So really in all that I say and do, I do all to the glory of God. And in that sense, it's not a matter of externals. It's a matter of internals. It's a matter of the heart toward the living God. And so in Titus, you don't even see a peril addressed. But I think it's very important in our culture to kind of weigh in on that a little bit. Any, any other comments on that before we press on? And this is still from last week, so sorry. Anyone? Bueller? Um, we also looked at things that ought not mark a woman's conduct, slander, drunkenness, okay? Um, and lastly, that they were to teach older women. Older women are to teach younger women. Older women are to teach younger women. And we wait on that for a while because of the been there, done that, nature of the older women in Christ who have gone before and done all of this. Does that mean the younger women don't need to heed Jeremy on Sunday mornings because I'm just supposed to listen to the older women? No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. 
Um, still, the men of the church are to preach and to teach. But again, I am not a woman. And so, while I can speak to issues with authority, and my authority is this, it's a pretty good one. This is my authority. I don't have the experience. I made note of experiences that other people have gone through, but I have not had them. And so the older women are uniquely suited to plow into the lives of the younger women. We talked about why older women might not do this, the challenges they face. We, might, we looked at why the younger women might not seek this out in our culture of I can do it myself. Sometimes no time, no desire. So that was kind of last week. Uh, right now, uh, we're going to start into what are the priorities that are to be taught to the younger women. Excuse me. By ultimately the older women. So as we kind of weigh into the younger women, we're going to be looking at what God expects of them here. But kind of in the back of your mind, understand this is what older women should be counseling younger women toward. We are at the end of verse 3. They are to teach what is good. What is good? That which is in comportment or in parallel with God's character uh, there. They are to uh, teach what is good and so train the younger women to love their husbands and love their children. Okay, so the first thing that a woman is to do is to love her husband. Okay, we'll get to the fact that that only speaks to married women here in just a moment. Uh, and I'm, first of all, I've told you before, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I look up the words to see if there's something I'm missing. It's a great word. Palandros, from which we get the word philosophy. No, Philan philanderer is a philanderer a good thing? No. What is a philanderer? Well, don't they give a lot? No, that's a philanthropist. <laughs> okay, good, good. A philanderer has come to have the connotation of a man who uses women. He's a philanderer. You know, if you break the word apart, it's, you know, philos. You know, you've got love, the Philadelphia, brotherly love kind of thing. And andros, uh, man, love of man. It is the love of man. So for a woman, she's supposed to be a philandros. She is supposed to love her man. But it's not the eros love, and it's not the God love. It is, it is the affectionate love. You know, it is the, it is the compadre uh, I like you kind of love. It's an affection. Uh, you younger women are to enjoy their husbands. They are to enjoy their husbands. They are to delight in that relationship. Why is this a priority for the older women to teach the younger women. Because the younger women have children. 
And they're going to focus more on their children than they're going to. They might. You know, if they do have children, that is a huge thing. We'll talk about that. We'll, we'll, we'll pull on that a little bit more uh, when we look at her loving the children here. But that is a... She is... She's distracted. She's an octopus. You know, and she's trying to keep the kids in order. How many arms do you wish you had to, you know, to corral the kid out? Yeah, so, no way! I don't know. Can we have like eight moms in the house to... Uh, not really. Um, so that, that could be a thing. Why else are younger women exhorted to like their husbands? TV, movies, books. It's, it's almost like the, that a contentious relationship between the husband and wife is to be expected. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's supposed to be contention and hostility. And I would contend that that is probably so because of the sinfulness in the husband and the wife. And so here, God through Paul, Titus, through the older women, is exhorting the younger women to like your man. Like your man, because all of the assaults of your own flesh and the culture are going to be smacking you against it to go, he's the enemy. All of that time courting and walking down the aisle, all the, it changes as soon as the ring goes on. You know, the one ring. <laughs> and and really it's 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 scary you would think it would suddenly get better but things change there if you are not careful to cultivate that relationship so that relationship of a wife to love her husband must be a priority again inter- feel free to interject cuz i'm going to just plow we got gobs of material here and I will stop and anchor all day long discussing points because this is important. Love your children. Another great word. Philotechnos. Like technology. Love of new stuff. Love of new things. Love of art. Okay? Um, your, your child is a new thing. Love of the, the new one. Love your, love your children. Okay, um, is this a hard thing for for moms? No, nope. should it be? Not most moms. Most. Okay. Most. Is it? <laughs> is it? Is it a created natural thing for a mom to go? Yes. To that child. Absolutely. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. So, of the two, normally I would say that's not a problem. 
You know, there are postpartum issues that women will go through or get that thing away from me. You know, but usually that is overcome in time and it doesn't stay that way um, in most circumstances. How intense is it when the child is young? That, that bonding and affection between the mother and the child. Very consuming. Okay, it can be, which is, and this kind of goes back to the, you know, that you're still married. Okay, and that gets to kind of the next thing. Can that intense bond stay that way? Not forever. I mean, you have to break it because there's, you know, man is supposed to leave his mother and father and go cleave to his wife, so it has to change at some point. Okay. Should it suddenly change at that point? No. No. <laughs> Hopefully not. Hope, I say that. I say that, but you've all seen it. Mothers who want to be the thing in their child's life. They want to be foremost in their child's life. Because, why? Because the child is foremost in their life. Danger, Will Robinson. Dangerous. <laughs> Primarily, it is dangerous because it's idolatry. <laughs> it is idolatrous. Your child has become your God. Yes, absolutely. It is your job. You are uniquely suited and created to care for and nurture and to train that child in those young years. But that needs to begin to change as the father begins to take over some of the training roles older here taking them out into the field. Okay, I want you to think kind of biblically and agrarianly here, not saying that the husband has no role when the child's still pooping their diapers. Okay, he can change them too. He's got two hands. Those foamy earplugs in the nostrils works like a champ. Yeah. Um, but things hopefully have to change for the woman, have to change for the man, and ultimately, whoof, fly the nest. There goes the child. And the mother should, with a tear coming down her face, rejoice. It reminds me of that thing that you told Ty and I once about how when your children are young, your authority is, is high and your influence is low. And then as they get older, your authority should go down and your influence should go up. I feel like it's the same way with that, like, your affection and, like, that bond that you have, it should, you know, it should slowly go up as, like, your influence goes up, but that cleaving goes way down. And it should be, like you said, a process as they get older, not just suddenly when they're, you know, 22 and getting married. That's probably unhealthy. <laughs> Does that mean your affection for one another will end? No. Never. Never. You know, I, I hope you will always have a dear spot for your children and love them dearly and delight to hear their voice or to get an email or maybe a card on Mother's Day, something like that, to go, they still think about me. 
you know, because there's probably not going to be a day go by or very few that your children are not in your mind. It may startle you someday where you go, well, I wonder what Car Carter's doing now. Here, didn't, I was so busy yesterday. I, I do think that it's harder probably for the moms than it is for the kids. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, Always is. The kid's like, going, oh, I got an adventure. Oh, yeah. I've got a new man or, or, or whatever. And, you know, they're off looking at the thing. Yeah, bye, mom. You know, you know, and then when they stop and run back and give you a kiss and then go on. So it, it does need to change. But these are the primary relationships. Now, why is this an expectation for a young woman? Husbands. Children. In the culture, that was kind of like, that was just what they were expected to do. Okay, so really it's not a thing then? So marriage and... There's a big one man, one woman, go forth and multiply. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the created order. Yes. Let's go back further. Culture. <laughs> okay, it is God's word in the created order. God created man. Then he created woman for man that they would... Unite and make babies, okay, and have families and procreate. That is the natural order. So in marriage, a husband and wife are to re represent Christ in the church, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5. You know, that's the mystery, that marriage always is a picture of God's relationship, his intimate relationship with his people. Uh, husband and wife are to be God's ministers to one another of God's love for them. How extraordinary that as a husband, one of my responsibilities is to be God's hands and voice and strength for my bride. I can't be God, but I can love her as Christ loved the church. Uh, husband and wife, they're to procreate. They are to procreate. And it's not just procreating. You are to build a family as husband and wife. Okay, however big that might be. So, okay, so we go that, we go, I see that. But then comes the question, does this mean that singleness is inappropriate? No. Is it Paul that talks about it that says, like, it's a good thing to find a wife, but if you can, you know... If you can be single and glorify God, then go and do it. And if you can't, then go find a wife. This is, <laughs> this is, yeah. this, is, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's what Sean is talking about. And what a blessing we have the full counsel of God's word that Paul would speak to this because it's fantastic. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul advocates strongly for singleness. He advocates strongly for singleness in verses 6 through 9 and later on in the chapter as well. But this passage in 6 through 9 comes hot on the heels of 1 through 5. In 1 through 5, Paul's talking about the <clears throat> conjugal rights of a man for his wife and his wife, the wife for the husband. The physical relationship between man and a woman in verses 1 through 5. That this ought not be something that is rare. That it's ultimately, it is necessary in the relationship. It is a necessary part of the relationship. Um, 
to prevent temptation. Okay, that's Paul's warning here, and we have all the other procreation, build a family. Uh, you have the, the Song of Solomon, the love intimacy, Proverbs intimacy, uh, you know, the physical enjoyment of the husband and wife as also a priority. But then he goes on in verse 6 and says, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. Did you say in chapter 9? 7. Uh, 7. Sorry. Oh, You're going, he's yeah. most <laughs> evident. He must have a different version. <laughs> I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God. Gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay, uh, later on in the chapter, for me, i got to turn the page. Um, he goes into, in verse 28, why it is good to marry. He says, in verse 28, If you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you from this. Worldly troubles. What kind of troubles do married people have? Yeah, I know. It's like, it's Edenic. Yeah, no. Yeah. Where are we going to live? Are we going to paint the house? The things on this plane in simply living a life and building a family are legion. They're legion. And a lot of them are, in the Air Force, we have the word queep. It's just, it's minutia. You know, they're queepy little things. There, some of them, and some of them cause big blow-ups that really shouldn't. You know, this is silly. He goes, I would, I would spare you from this. Um, his his desire is that they be devoted to the things of the Lord. Down in verse thirty-two, he says, "I want you to be free from these anxieties." The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. Okay, obviously the unmarried Christian man. Okay, the man who, the unmarried man who is sold off for Christ. Okay, and who obviously isn't dealing with sexual temptation. Uh, he's concerned about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Back earlier on, Paul said this is a gift. If you are single and you are delighted in your singleness, wow! We ought not push people to marry unless that's their heart. I'm happy to be single. Um, I desire heart and soul to serve the Lord. A, a single person can has a freedom 
to do, and they still got to have an income, so they're going to have to work, but they have a greater freedom with their time to do things in ministry that a married person is not going to have time to do. Or if the married man or woman is doing these things, he or she is sacrificing and setting apart time with their family. And that's a sacrifice. That's a sacrifice a single person is not going to have to make. So, you know, Titus doesn't talk about it here. He doesn't. And, you know, that's, I don't, I don't fault Paul on that. Uh, because Paul is talking about the normal, general way of things. Singleness is, singleness can't be the norm. Why? Yeah, we got no people. You know, if only like two or three families out of a billion are getting married, the population is going to implode there. And so singleness is a gift. It is an exceptional gift. I mean, we don't need to be counting, okay, how many singles do we have? Oh, we got too many singles. You guys need to start. No, no. Praise God for them all. Again, it is a gift. Any, any comments or questions on that before we move into the issues of character? I think there's kind of two extremes. The one is there are Christians who don't feel they have the gift of singleness and want to be married. That's a challenge. On the flip side, our culture is becoming very individualistic and marriage is becoming less appealing. And I'm pretty sure it was like three years ago we passed for the first time having more adults who are singles than are married. Wow. And so I agree with everything, but there should be, for most, a desire to marry and serve and be fruitful and multiply, though that's not for all. What if, a, what if a woman or a man, and I've got a very good friend, very good male friend, who desperately would love to be married? And he's like going, where are they? We have a friend who is a youth pastor, and he's my age. I mean, we went to school together our whole lives, and he would die to be married. Yeah. And he says, I'm not, but I'm not going to settle for a woman who is not, you know, who is less than what God, I know that God would have for me. And he's, he struggles with finding godly women because they're all married okay so then what what is a what is a person to do if they go i want to be married but they're not be content with your life that god has given you at this point and continue to pray that you would bring you a wife i don't know sure yeah sure there's absolutely nothing wrong with seeking a wife or a husband. I mean, there's lots of things that your heart might desire that are good things in God's eyes that he doesn't give you yet or sometimes ever. I mean, and it's okay to have that longing as long as you are, you know, glorifying God through it. Awesome. Is, is Tracy ever going to satisfy me? Not the way that God does. No, she can't. She's finite. We were made for God. We were made to be filled up and satisfied in Him. Nothing will satisfy us on this world, on this earth, on this plane. 
And that's true, you know, for the single. To desire to, desire to be married is, is a good thing. It's a good thing. It is. But it may not be here yet. And so I praise God. I praise God. Lord, you've, you've given me this station. I press on with the labors you've given me. And I keep my radar still sweeping, you say in the F-16. Just kind of have it searching out there. <laughs> Looking for bogeys. Okay. Uh, which in this case would be a good thing as opposed to a bad thing. So... Sweet. Well, I was just say on the second, it's all about motivation for the people who want to be single. Well, why? So you can just Hook have up. more free time, or because Paul's saying singleness is good to serve the Lord. Yeah. Not just because then I can wake up when I want, and then I can do I can serve me to the most of the. Hour. And that's sadly what a lot of singleness today is driven by. Yes. Again, we to speak of it within the Christian realm yeah. here. But there are Christian men who, and this will get into the things that our young men struggle with today, and they just want to be little boys. They just want to stay as little boys. It's like, grow up and be a responsible, godly man. Katie, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Yeah, well, two, two quick things. Off of verse 8, the burning with passion, I feel like in a lot of Christian circles, they're like, That's, you shouldn't get married if you are burning with passion and that's like the biblical reason to get married i'm really confused <laughs> that's the first thing <laughs> right because okay. that's what it says that is absolutely what it says <laughs> that that is a natural affection really high for the guy and for the women woman it's more of just intimacy and affection for a guy it tends to be a much higher sexual thing and absolutely that's that is yeah so it's just weird because it's like, no, that's like the reason Paul gives. And I often feel like that in Christian circles say like, no. And I'm like, no. then why the heck did you get married? That, <laughs> no, I, no offense. Well, do you I'm feel like maybe what they're trying to say but not well is just that you that shouldn't be the only reason that you want to get married? Sure. I totally understand that. And, and yeah, right, Paul like is highlighting it here. If somebody's trying to be super spiritual and say that doesn't come into play, they're lying. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They're lying. <laughs> well, I think today we've romanticized marriage to the extent that that's all it is. Yeah. Is the only reason I want to marry you is because you're the one. You're my soulmate. I did not have wife before I found you, and I think there could be other reasons. And there have been, I mean, literally, probably even a quarter of the population in the world today gets married. Because their parents arranged it. Mm -hmm. And they still have to follow these things. It has nothing, their marriage has nothing to do with romance. It, it didn't when can, it began. Can, can affection develop for somebody you've never met before? Yes. yes. Can you have arrows for that person? Intimacy and be passionate with somebody you've never met before? And somebody you probably wouldn't have picked? Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you grow into this. And to keep it, you have to cultivate it. It may not be there right away. You may go, Leah, Leah. I didn't want Leah. I wanted Rachel. Leah, I got a Leah. But if you're not a noob, if you're not a dope, you can really find the truth in God's word that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and finds the favor of the Lord and can see her as the treasure that she is described as in Proverbs 31 because she is. She's created in the image of God and she is beautiful. She is beautiful. What else were you going to say, Kate? And then kind of off of Jeremy's 
comments earlier from verse 28, the worldly troubles, like the opposite. I personally, I feel like, again, from Christian circles, I often feel like they're like, you're, you're selfish if you want to be single because you don't want to deal with these worldly troubles that we have. Come be like me and deal with these worldly troubles. Enjoy my misery. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's awful. But that is. This is like the opposite view that I get from... I feel, I feel like I get from... And, and Katie, this is, this is absolutely why I'm going to go to what does God's word say. And God's word would go... <laughs> you're, you're denying the plain reading of scripture. Do we have enough money? Do we've like, seen the world? Shauna's brother. <laughs> we just had this conversation just had this like, with him. Marry her. They love each other. They've like, been dating they, for a year and a half. Like he wants to do like yeah. the, the movie the movie proposal thing. Like no, start life with her. Do it. Start now. Yeah, but, and that's we've had so Walmart. many conversations. You know, it's so funny to see like my parents who really are not believers, and then us. Like yesterday, my dad's like, "Shut up, you guys." Because we're telling my brother, like, do you love her? Yes. Do you, does she love the Lord? Yes. Does she make you, like, want to be a better man, like, for her in Christ? Yes. Then marry, just we have, marry her. We have made proposals. We have made marriages. We have made baby reveals. All cultic. <laughs> all yeah. expensive cultic events. Almost. Instead of the beautiful single thing, really, that they are. Can you have those things? Yes, you can. You can, that doesn't, but if that is the thing. I, think I just think you, of how many, well, oh, no, I was going to say, I think of how many relationships don't get made and don't happen because people are just like, oh, you're just not, you're not right for me. Well, like you said, cultivate that. They might not feel right now, but they might be later on, but there's none of that going on. It's like but that person has to time. be right away. Like, don't force this, it. Like, this you gets, can clearly tell that this is not a this, good This would get into the argument, is there one person out there for me? No, it's the person you choose. That's it, absolutely right. It is who you choose to love and bind with. Because if you go, there is only one person out there for me, and you marry somebody at the first tiff, you're going to start to go, Yep. was I wrong? Did I, I miss it? Yes, you know, Ty and I got married and I was 19 years old. And that's exactly what, I mean, I went through that to say I was so young. And I, we had friends who got married so much later and were having all these life experiences. And it was something that God had to grow in me to say, this is the person that you chose. Now continue to choose him. Ty's mom gave me some of the best marriage advice. She wrote it in our wedding card. And I have, it has stuck with me for 14 years. She said, you chose your love, now love your choice. And this is coming from a woman who got divorced and then chose to stay single for the rest of her life. Wow. And that, that is so profound to me. Older women, older, the things that are coming up here right now are the things that need to be plowed into the next generation. That they hear these things. These are biblical, biblically saturated truths. And I suspect most of us have seen the flotsam and jetsam of the ships that have sunk, the marriage ships that have sunk because they have not held to God's truth. Or the singles who have just crushed their own lives by going, 
Well, I've got to get married to the first thing that winks at me <laughs> there instead of seeing if there is any character in that guy or she's just a doll and she's bereft of heart and soul. So, I mean, we've, we've like barely stuck our toe into young women. But can you see how pervasive these issues are? Older women teach the younger women to love their husbands and love their children. All right, we're going to go on into issues of character here. Any, anything else? Anything you're just... Okay. Younger women are to be self-controlled. Okay, we've hit that word already once in this chapter in verse 2. Third time in the book, chapter 1 and verse 8. Elders are to be self-controlled. Older men are to be self-controlled. Apparently, older women don't have to be. Um, and younger women do. Younger men also have to be. So the implication is really older women have to be self-controlled also. What are the battles young women might face regarding self-control? Where might a young woman not be self-controlled? Time management. <laughs> okay. Are we speaking to their time or ours or both? Our time. Our time. How does that apply now to us? Because self-control is self-control. I, I have no idea what the women dealt with in Greece. Or in Crete. Clothing. Huh? Self-control and clothing. Okay. Some, some women are clothed junkies. Okay, that would be close, maybe. Make it, oh yeah, you know, uh, how I look. You know, there we go back to kind of the appearance. There, how much is too much? You know, again, it goes to the, you know, what's going on in the heart. Friends, oh! Snappy face, you know. Uh, all, all those things. You know, what do they think? How many likes do I have? Oh, uh, I got more friends than she does. Ah. <laughs> It's, it's bad. It is bad. It is bad within, I mean, a, a lot of, I know my daughters are, are largely removed from that at this point. Um, but within the schools, man, that's, that's, social media is, is brutal. It is a brutal battlefield. There. Where else? Self-control. Tongue. What? The tongue. The tongue. You know, self-control. Everybody has issues, and, and every woman, every young woman, is going to have peculiar issues. Where do I need to be self-controlled? And you're not going to do it in your own strength. You're not going to do it, but in the power of Christ, you can. You can be controlled in your thoughts, all the way down to your your affections. There, being controlled of the Lord. The parents can be challenging not to be passive aggressive, let the kids do whatever, and then blow up, be angry in a simple way. Yeah. If and I'll I'll tell you, if you are not under the reign of Jesus Christ, if you do not have the reins of Jesus Christ upon you. 
thus allowing you to be self-controlled, empowering you to be self-controlled. If you do not have Christ's reins, you've got some other reins on you. You do. So as a believer, if I am not letting Christ have control of my life, something else will control my life, either from within or without. It can be no other way. It can be no other way. You are not, you cannot be neutral in the world. Self-control. Younger women are supposed to be pure. It's from the same root as holy, hagios. They're to be reverent. They're to be set apart in obedience, in love for Christ. So what are the challenges for a young woman with regard to holiness? You're a virgin? Are you kidding me? What a freak. Well, how are you going to know? Mommy porn. For women. Marketed to women. There. The whole hookup culture. Give it away. Purity. It's not a thing. Holiness. Chastity. What are you going to wear? How much are you going to show? Now, I'm not going to measure hemlines, but ladies, if you do not understand what your attire, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, you guys do, you guys do understand, hopefully, what your attire does to a guy. It does. Well, it's his problem. No, it's your problem. Two, because you're supposed to love your brothers and not be a stumbling block. Well, it's different for every guy. Yeah, yeah, it is. But there is a point of reasonableness as far as that goes. Does that mean, again, dress like a frump? No. Can you be attractive? Can you be sexy and be okay? Yes. Please, look like a woman. Please. It's a beautiful thing when a woman looks like a woman. Oh, oh. Does that mean long hair or short hair? Doesn't matter. Okay, that's, that's really a cultural thing. You know, is it a mess? Well, okay, well, maybe you should do something with your hair. <laughs> you know? But purity, purity, the culture, you know, things really, what distracts your passion from Christ? There, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And so our lives our lives in purity should be lived preparing our wedding garments, men and women, because we are all going to be married to our husband, Jesus Christ, in the church. And so we should keep ourselves pure, whether single or married, whether male or female. And so this purity is vital. Next week, we'll start with kind. I'm going to skip over working in your own home and being submissive to your husbands because that's going to be huge too. Because those are huge points of tension in our culture. So we'll start out with kind next week. I appreciate the discussion. 
Absolutely. And here's the most important thing. And we've touched on it a couple of times. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what Christian groups say. The Gospel Coalition, Nine Marks. It doesn't matter if it doesn't accord with God's word. If it's funky with relation to what God's word says, If I can glean it principally from God's word, because it doesn't speak on everything, it doesn't. But God's principles are clear. And so I appeal to what God's word says. That's all. Anything else? Appreciate your time, attention, and discussion.